Hi, this is Nick Dawson, the editor-in-chief of TalkHouse Film, and you're listening to the TalkHouse Film Podcast. There aren't really any rules or guidelines for these podcasts. It's simply two interesting people asking each other questions they genuinely want to know the answer to. Usually these conversations take place remotely, but in the case of today's podcast, the two participants, Mary Harron and Rose McGowan, were actually in the same place, in a quiet room at the New York Edition Hotel. Harron and McGowan have more in common than you might initially think. Both spent part of their childhood in Italy. Both are plain talkers who do not suffer fools gladly. Both came to directing as a second phase of their career. Harron after being a journalist, and McGowan following a highly successful period as an actress. McGowan made her directorial debut last year with the smart, stylish short Dawn, which you can now watch online for free. But that's not the only reason she's been prominent in the press recently. When in June she tweeted a note suggesting she wear a push-up bra for a meeting about an upcoming Adam Sandler movie, it caused a media uproar that resulted in her being dropped by her agency. Over the course of their conversation, she and Haran talk about this and much more. From Haran's journalistic roots and her experiences making American Psycho, to McGowan's difficult childhood and adolescence, and her outspoken views about the film industry. It's not just your body of work, it's your body of life, kind of, <laughs> that I really respond to. And um, Johnny Ramon was like one of my best friends. Oh, wow, yeah. yeah. And um, I would bake him two cakes a week and put them, and uh, I, was his, I was his chief baker, not as a job, but as just as a, a friend. As a friend. And, um, you know, when he got sick and he was dying, I would just put them outside his door with little notes. And he, uh, Linda Ramone, his widow, is like actually my best friend. And I love that part of, I mean, you got the first interview with, you know, mm. like Sid and Johnny. I mean, that's, and, and, um, and still friend, and friends with, um, Oh my gosh, my brain is melting. The drummer. Oh. Steve. Stevie. Yes. Not the drummer, Stevie. Yes. Steve Jones. Um, all those people are like awesome. And, and it's so funny, like, you know, uh, hearing about this New York and the way the story in New York that I never quite saw. I remember like more like late 90s New York, which was great fun, but it wasn't like what. It feels, late 90s New York feels a lot more like, like now, old New York than, than it, it does, does now. in the last. 15 years. It's very odd. Yeah, it's, very it's like, odd. oh, it all, it lasted the longest time. Right through the 80s, these village lasted the longest time, then it was gone. I sort of feel the same way about L.A., too. I was just in L.A. and driving up the Sunset Strip, where I, you know, spent part of my chi- childhood near there. Um, oh. And it's like, oh, my God, it's, it, it's all high rise. It's all a mall. I hate these blocks. These yes, block ugly buildings blocks. that they're building and they use every square footage, you know, every inch. They're literally right on the street. And yeah. like, what are you leaving architecturally? Nothing. You're leaving a box. It makes me kind of insane to tell you the truth. Yeah. And I, and I think the whole point of LA is that it rolls, you know, I mean, the whole thing is it has the, the actual hillsides roll. Yeah. You know, until they kind of let the topography speak is what should be done and, and maybe in New York it's more like let the people speak yes and uh, so I, I still I still love New York but it's funny because it just it lasted so long kind of lower east side bohemia that it seemed it you know faded eternal really well but oh, also but faded but always always you know like it was always going to be there yes it was funny because in the 80s I would be walking down you know first avenue or something and I'd see somebody I think oh it looks like you know that looked like Richard Hell or or somebody who used to hang out there. And then I would think, oh no, because they can't be that because they're young and I'm not young anymore. And it, I'm, I'm, I'm remembering something from like 
10, 15 years ago, but they look just like the people I knew. So it's like, it's like a, a new version kind of had, had come out of the sea, you know, right. primordial ooze. Um, it, like, re, like a certain kind of world was reproducing itself. Uh, but probably, I don't know if that happens anymore. I don't think it does. It's, I think that's over. I don't know if there's enough people that are willing to be... Is different the wrong word? Themselves? Off? I don't know, because I ran around. I was a runaway when I was 13, and I got taken in by um, three trans girls and, uh, and a stripper named Tina. And I had quite, you know, and I'd always been, like, really pretty punk. You know, mm -hmm. and that was my... Jam, really. Um, not. I had my own weird like dress style, but in spirit, you know. I had. I would wear like men's like Charlie Chaplin esque suits and bowler hats, you know. When I was twelve, and um, at thirteen, I was jumping off planes. If they had a layover, I would get off the plane wherever the layover was and just disappear, having cops look for you everywhere. And it was kind of like, I got to crisscross mostly the West Coast, but bigger parts of the country and. So it would have been like matching up with the period of the primordial ooze that you're talking about. So it's part of that ooze. And it was, it's really, I don't know if people get to have as many adventures in some ways. And I don't know if they want to. I hope they do. Yeah, yeah. But it was a, a more lawless city. There were That's kind the of thing. No, no rules. Right. Yeah. That's what's, where is that? I don't know. I mean, you know, as a parent, it's like, it's great. You know, I have two teenage daughters, so it's like New York is a very safe city for them. I can let them run all over, but it's, but in terms of... But I like growing up those, fast. When people are like, oh, I feel bad you grew up so fast, I'm like, I fucking had a great time. Where did you go when you ran away? Where, where was that? Where, what part I was of town? actually in Oregon at that point, which is not my favorite place in the world. Um, people always think of it as these, like, kind of erudite, peaceful hippies, and it's not quite... That that's there's a bastion of that, but the rest of it I would say is kind of redneck, jacked up trucks, gun racks, and I went um, a little earlier than that straight from Italy to backwoods Oregon, with again the rednecks and the jacked up trucks and the gun racks every single day. You're the ugliest thing I ever seen. I'm like saw, you saw, not seen, and it was um, kind of navigating. There's just something about me they kind of, and it, it, it related to Hollywood later, very much so. Like, there's something about me they just kind of wanted to crush. They don't usually want to actually look at something different and wonder about why it's different or why it speaks differently or why it has a different language. or It's just easier to crush it than to reflect on it and maybe look past the boundaries of your own life. You know, and that was just something, you know, there's that, what, Survivor show, Outwit and Outlast. It was very, very similar in a lot of ways. So you were in a kind of, um, it's funny because a lot of punk artists felt came out of kind of rebellion against hippies or... I, I came out of, I grew up with hippies. Yeah, I mean, so I in a way in you were, you were the, an example of that, of kind of oh, a later example of, of like, that. Like, I don't understand exactly what it was, how I knew this, but in the commune I grew up in, like, I would see women's hairy legs and just be kind of horrified, even though I had no frame of reference as to anything other. And it was, it was more a representative of something that, it was like false to me. It was false. I mean, there are people that I know. I have a hippie friend now that's actually done a lot of healing in me in the hippie, the hippie front because <laughs> he's kind of truly what it's meant to embody, you know, and I don't like things that are done as just looks or as just, you know, in a dilettante way or in an artificial, we're supposed to act this way because we look this way kind of thing because usually whatever they're doing doesn't match up with the image of them as these kind of peaceful loving things. There are certainly those people, but they can come in any clothing, I imagine. But I did come out like waving red lipstick. I was like, oh no, fuck this. And, and it was horrified. 
Oh, oh, yeah. Oh, God. I mean, I went to the store, I think, when I was 12, and I came back with Clairol blue-black hair dye and Revlon love that red lipstick, and that was all she wrote. <laughs> and, I was like, and that was your, your, your look for the... And that was pretty much set the precedent for my life, the template at age 12. It was, you know, I just um, didn't... I, I just didn't... I mean, I was reading a lot of the old, like, a lot of old mag... Just like kind of like Lisa Fonsi Greaves, like those kind of like people with that black hair and red lips. More like, not so much punk, like, um, like fucked up punk. I had a lot of punk friends. I was just always in my own kind of weird, kind of old movie. I studied film with my father loosely since I was four. And so for me, like, I always wanted to look like this. I've never been able to track down the film, but some crazy film I saw in Italy with this nurse who was very beautiful with black hair and white skin and red lips. And she's on the phone talking to this doctor, and he tells her she can't he can't see her anymore. This is all I'm telling. So she takes out her red lipstick in the payphone booth, rips her shirt open, and draws it all over her face and her breasts. <laughs> and I was like, fabulous. I think I was like four or five, and I got very excited about it. I was like, that's amazing. That's what I want to be when I grow up. Oh, that's great. Yeah, I think the movies you see very early that you can't quite remember what they were oh God, have huge, huge, um, impact. They huge imprint. impact on you. And sometimes you'll feel that impact years later. When I was 18, I went to Mexico, and I was staying with this Mexican family, and they, we went to the movies, which is a wild experience in, in Mexico, Mexico yeah. City. Yeah, And um, the first one was um, a film called Night of a Thousand Cats, which is... Ah. A famously bad horror movie, actually, I have to That's say. Amazing. Like like one of the worst movies ever made. And then the second one was an American movie, American horror movie called Let's Scare Jennifer to Death, which is an amazing kind of, I guess, early 70s, um, kind of an early independent film, but it's a horror movie and it's very ambiguous. And I thought about that film for years. It had a big influence on me, and uh, later when I did, um, you know, Mothari, I was definitely affected by, by Let's Scare Jennifer to Death. It had a very ambiguous ending, and I, I, I think sometimes, um, and it took me, you know, years to kind of track down what it was that I saw completely, like naively, like what is, you know. But I really liked it. It was very strange. It was like an early independent film, and so you sort of, that. you sort of see these things. The imprint. Yeah, yeah, the imprint. Now, Gone with the Wind was deeply imprinted upon me at age five, but um, Mammy was speaking Italian. Oh, that's great. Oh, yes, because you... I remember Everything's seeing... Everything's dubbed there. I remember seeing um, a Roger Corman film in, in Italy uh, when I was a kid. Uh, Mask of the Red Death. And everybody's Italian. speaking Italian. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's so weird. You know, as someone who's been dubbed, yeah. you know, it's very funny to see. Um, it's, it's like, you stole my voice. I mean, it is funny, like, how much just, I, I mean, and, and that the countries actually where they speak more English mm -hmm. are because they're too poor to, to dub. Yeah. Really, so they have subtitles. And it, it's, it's fascinating to, like, travel the world. And um, I was at this drag karaoke show or some random horrible thing in um, L.A., and this kid came up to me, and he had a really thick accent, and I was trying to understand him. And he's this TV show I'd gotten stuck on for a long time. Uh, he's like, oh, that was the only show Saddam let play in Baghdad. <laughs> I'm, I'm, a, I'm a, a fugitive, a, a escapee from, uh, I escaped uh, Baghdad in Iraq during, this was like four years ago, like, you know, during the war. And oh, we grew up, you know, and, and that's how I learned English. And that's how I, and I was like, that is so, and of course I was like, Uday and Kuse know who I am. You don't say. Yeah, they were huge fans. You're lucky you didn't get kidnapped and, and brought to 
be it backed out I to mean, be it. I've been, I've had, I've had other kidnappings, so why not that one? But yes, I suppose so. That was quite. Um, Did they say what 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 it was about the show that? I, that's the weirdest part. It was three girls with powers. Yeah. So it's a complete. But that show somehow that one passed. That was that was. Which is funny because the England I think was because it was about witches. Oh my god, was the last country to put it on the air because they were so freaked out about witchcraft. Yeah, because they 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 um. They're funny. There's a lot of uh, suburban witchcraft in England. Is there? Yes, and there's a lot of. By um, the way, that's a great title. Oh, suburban, suburban witchcraft. witchcraft? And it's kind of an amazing all, title for an album. It all happens in the suburbs, and there's a lot of um, druids as well. Right. Well, that makes sense. A lot of druids, a lot of witchcraft, a lot, lot of, of white lot witches. of fetishism, a lot of rubber fetishism in the suburbs. It's all. It well, all let's happens. talk about Japan in that case. Yes, yes. It all, it all happens fetish. behind it all behind closed doors. doors. Yeah. So it was. I was watching American Psycho again last night, which I'd already seen three times, and I was watching it this time. Very much with an eye to you, and it was interesting. And I was with someone. He's like, "Oh, that's a very Kubrick shot." And I said, "No, it's not. I, I don't think so." I could be wrong, but I think this is a Mary Heron shot. How do you feel about it? It always annoys me when people are like, this looks like this and this and this. No, I, and I, everybody has influences, but what if it's not? What if it's actually your No, I'm okay. I'm okay with that because actually when I met with the DP, I did say, it's Kubrick and But it's Polanski. interesting, out of the, which I totally agree with, but out of mm -hmm. the, there's shots that you have where it's almost like Bale is coming forward. Mm -hmm. So it's almost like a convex, you know, like, a, like it is the symmetry but the third part of it, it's not symmetrical. Like one, two, three, back. It's almost like one is forward, pushing in. And then I also really like the distance you kept between him and everybody else. Yes, I, yes, and that's just instinctive because I don't, I don't sit down and plan my shots in that way. I'm not someone. No, you're going to say never, here. You're say, I you don't know the space no, until you're there. No, I'm not big on. Story, uh, I don't really. And on that, I certainly didn't do storyboards. And we barely did a shot list actually. After the first week. <laughs> the producers complained. They were worried that we were going over. So uh, they said, you have to have a shot list. So I would just sit down every night on my own Fake and it. Write, write a shot list that then everybody ignored. Um, but it kind of helped. I just do shot lists because it helps me go through the script in a right, in, in an orderly fashion. way. But I come out of documentary, and I, I, I really much happier if I can just sit in the space and then decide what the shots are. And, and I actually I was happy to read that um, Polanski said the same thing, that he... That's how he prefer, would prefer to work always. And there are other people I know who plan everything out. And I just have to... I have to have an element of surprise, and the place has to inform it for me. Yes, I, like, I, I had a shot there. list yeah. uh, for Dawn, very much so, but it was also because I was very specific with each frame if that you could freeze it, and it would tell its own story. Um, because I'm also a still photographer. Mm. So it was, but it was also because my cues were more actually from the art world for mm -hmm. it than, than, than other cinema, but it was, um, but other things I've shot and, and actually shot myself. When I uh -huh. shoot it myself, uh -huh. it's a lot more free flowing and, but I always like go, um, well, I always, I like, I, I'm always shocked by people that don't account for the house has its own energy. The place has its, the corner of that room is telling a story and it's gonna look different in your camera. So why not, put, I mean, when they, when they're so rigid, yeah, no, it doesn't flow. I mean, what I like to do is is sort of do this list and then really just get in there and and let them see what the actors do and yes and then see and see how the how the space feels to me and and how you want to keep how you want to separate the actors. There's a scene, um, you know, a scene with Christian and 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 uh, the two prostitutes, 
Mm-hmm. And I remember the, uh, the DP, Andrzej Sekula, who's Polish, who comes out of that Polish school, which yeah, is why it doesn't right. have that Polish He was saying, oh, and then one of the, the girls was sort of gyrating, you know, because um, Patrick Bateman has said, you know, da- you know, Christy, you know, well, not Christy, uh, Sabrina, dance a little. So she's kind of awkwardly dancing, and I wanted it to be very awkward. And the DP wanted, being a guy, wanted to place the camera right in front of the girl with Christian behind her, and I was like, no. It's too, it's too, no, no. no. He, he, she has to just be dancing awkwardly in the background. Well, it, that's yeah. also another thing I was going to bring up that I really noticed that you did, and even in the shots where it's Christian, you know, Bale, like, nude or close to nude, like, doing a stretching, and having been somebody who was in front of somebody's camera, mm. you know, naked, it, it was really, um, there's a really big difference between the camera and the person behind it, on usually on behalf of the director, kind of ogling, mm-hmm. which takes you, for me, when I watch films like that, out of the f- movie, because now I'm interpreting the film through this unseen person's eyes, mm-hmm. instead of letting something actually be how it is if I was a fly on that wall. Right, right, right. Which is without the male gaze. Yeah, you know, yeah. Which it separates from that, and it wasn't like, like Christian Bale, when he was, I, I would have to say, like, you know, he's on the floor and he's stretching, I was thinking about how, like, most maybe people I've worked with would be, like, doing, like, pans, like, like work. I mean, it's just overkill, and it's too much, yeah. and it takes, and that's not reality. And reality is, I mean, it's heightened reality and not reality. It's film, but at the same time, are we not trying to let people into another world, another life, another room to hear other voices? At the same mm-hmm. time, are we not all, I mean, I'm an audience member, first and foremost, so I've studied audiences forever as part of one. I studied myself and my reaction to film, and I... Mm-hmm don't like it, like, I think a lot of times most of the male directors I've worked with, they can't quite help themselves from insinuating themselves into it in a way. And sometimes that is in a more male, I don't want to, I'm not castigating them, but they are what they are, so they, if they're, they're said to be visual creatures, quote unquote, um, it can get rapey. Yeah, yeah, no, and actually in this case also, when Christian was, um, you know, doing his exercises, <laughs> there's also something comic about it. Oh, so and, funny. And so, you have to let and, breathing and, room and, happen and, for yeah, that. Yeah, and so it, ha- you know, and, 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 and comedy plays well in wide shots, you know. Um, you, you doesn't, it doesn't, you, yeah, the, the kind of camera lingering or panning. No, it's like really funny if he's just there kind of, you know, fanatically, uh, you know, doing his so uh, funny. crunches. Uh, yeah, so, yeah, that was it. And, and he was good because he was very sort of... Um, relaxed about it. I was just packing up my, we're moving, so I was just packing up my, my things. I found my old production binder from American Psycho, and there was a picture, a Polaroid inside of Christian, like, standing by the monitor, like, covered in blood, kind of grinning with, like, a sock on, and we're, like, by the monitor. So but like, that's how, that's how it should be and is. Yes. It's the funniest. Jokey and, Jokey and yeah, and I, I think with sex scenes, which are, you know, embar- it's an embar- very embarrassing situation, so you have to kind of be very, like, matter-of-fact, I think, and like as if it's sports. This is this is exactly like okay and break and break and, and break. yes and, and that movement and, and this and in fact for some of those sexes we we writ, rewrote out positions and gave them numbers because and then try number three you know because that kind of had a detachment that was I mean we were also tr- he's quite detached so yes well. I mean we weren't trying to create hot sex scenes no no but that sex scene but. Even, but that's what I mean is that you weren't trying to create hot sex scenes, but a lot of times people, like, all of a sudden, if it was honestly like a different director, mm-hmm. 
it would be like, yeah, I got two girls and a guy on the wall. That's yes, it's yes, my fantasy. My fantasy, <laughs> I, this is my time. This is my moment. And you're like, ugh, don't make it the audience's moment. That's not what it's about. Yeah. No, I mean, I think that must be, that must be, yes, that must be strange for the performer. Right. Okay. To, to, uh, well, strange you're watching it. Yeah. Because, like, I mean, after you've done it, you mean yes. you have to then. Oh, that's uncomfortable. That's, that's the more uncomfortable part, I think. You're like, I managed to be completely detached and kind of fly away, but mm-hmm. now I'm here and I'm staring at my detachment, but my body and then yeah. my voice and my voice comes out of my mouth and I hear my sisters, the whole, I don't really watch myself ever because it's just too weird. Yes. It's not right. I'm very good at what I did, but I didn't. But I'm also good at tying my shoes. It was not that different for me. Yeah. I'm not somebody, I didn't come out like waving the banner of like, I'm going to be a thespian. And I have mad respect for people that are mm-hmm. and for people that are true actors. And I think I was dedicated to being very good. But that's also like, if I had accidentally wound up in another career, I would also dedicate myself to being very good at that. Yeah. Well, so when I basically grew up and had the choice, I was like, oh no, I choose not to do this. So when you, um, was it more fun, like, in, in the very early, you know, when you sort of fell into it, like, doing Doom Generation? Was that more fun because it was so new? And Well, I did Doom Generation. Well, I guess you'd acted for quite a bit before as a kid, no? No. Um, I, I didn't know what a mark was. They would say, stand hmm. on your mark, and I, you know, the acts. I'd walk across the room. I didn't know what it was. Um, it, no, it was five weeks after my boyfriend was murdered, and I'd oh. had a, so no. I was discovered um, three weeks after he was killed. And I had nowhere to live, so I did the movie so I could get enough money for rent, and then I had some left over and went to visit Napoleon's summer house outside of Paris. No, no, so was... it was it was hard work, but it trained me very well. It was like boot camp for sets and boot camp for acting. I mean, I've calculated I've spent over fifty-seven thousand hours on sets. Oh, so it's in no way, and and then having had the kind of peripatetic but fairly thorough film education I did, and then so when I was discovered. I was like, well, I guess this makes sense. I was film. I love film. I know da, da, da. it's like one of my main passions. And then it was just kind of contractually, a lot of things happen that you can't get out of. And then it, it's you feel very, very guilty, very bad when it doesn't. Like people are so excited about this whole job. I'm what? What is wrong with me? Mm-hmm. What is wrong? I do not feel. I'm miserable. Mm. I hate being forced to go outside of my body. Yeah. I hate having to leave my brain. And I would have to abandon it, you know, like 15, 16 hours a day. Yeah. And because even when you're not in the moment, you're on a set, you're not you. You're not thinking your thoughts particularly. You're thinking, like, thoughts around 100 people. And it's it was just something that was particularly stifling and um, it was choking the life out of me. It was just I hated it. I, I actually hated it. Hated I acting. hated it. I didn't hate the acting part of it. I hated the trade-off. I hated, I hated having to leave my body and my mind for something else that I was playing that, frankly, wasn't as interesting or dynamic mm. as my own brain. Mm. And then being in a... It was very bothersome. And, and then also the cr- often very cruel things that were going on um, behind the scenes. I was like, wait, so how is this supposed to be cool, like, good? I was on a Tarantino film, and I was like, this is like, what is wrong with me? Everybody else here is so happy to be here, and I'm fucking miserable. Uh, I didn't act that way, because you act like you're thrilled to be there, and then you act in the movie, so you're just acting all the time, and which is quite exhausting. And, and I bring it, you know, give like 150%. And not with him, but with other people sometimes, you're like, but they're not. They're kind of a lot of people like, 
some directors that were like totally half-assed it. And I'm like, mm-hmm. that's not fair. Mm-hmm. I, you like can't only pay attention to two departments on your film and like, oh, I hired a great production designer, he'll do it. I hired this person, they'll do it. No, no. Your mm-hmm. fingers need to be on every single part of it. Mm-hmm. You know, every single part is you. You are responsible. I wouldn't. And so for me, like it was just like having no voice. So Dom came out of realizing really that what I was doing was so many people's dreams, and you collectively feel that. You go into a restaurant in LA, and you have the hostess like kind of glaring at you because she would want to put an ice pick to your head to do what you're doing. And to which I would say, here's your ice pick, go for it. It's okay. You know, I don't. And I, I, I kind of had to come to terms with the fact that it was everybody else's dream, but not mine. Mm-hmm. I never formed the dream, so to speak. I had formed being very good at whatever it was I did, but I also have a bunch of other jobs that I do that I'm also quite good at. It's, it's strange for people who grew up on movies, on movie sets, and how that affects your... I grew up part-time. I, grew, I mean, I had a very strong sense of self uh, from like as early as I can remember. Like, never... My aunt met me when I was three. She came over from America to Italy. She said she's never met anybody who's changed less in their life. She said that's not a good thing, necessarily. <laughs> I've just never met anyone who's changed less in their life, personality-wise. And so it was always me, but I resented. I resented. I, I, I just didn't like, it just didn't sit well with me, but somehow I, it just kind of kept going. And I have seven brothers and sisters, and I could help them and put them through college and do all sorts of things. And you emancipated yourself, right? I did. I took myself to court when I was like uh, just uh, how did how did you? And a half. I was a very because everybody kind of goes through phases where they want to emancipate. This. No, no, how, I represented how, myself in court. How were you able to do that? What what what? Who Legalities. told you that you could do it? And what? How I, did you find well, I out? I read or, about it. Yeah. You know, I read about it, and I just wanted autonomy. The thing was, is that if someone's not doing right by you, why should they have control over you and your decisions and your life? You know, and I was certainly. I had like 25 cents to my name. It wasn't out of. So you weren't, you weren't able to, were you, did you have to prove that you, you were financially self-sufficient or, or they just let you? I think I just conned them into it. You know? I, no, I was just myself. It wasn't a con. In fact, the judge was, said I'd represented myself better than any self-represented person he'd had. I think it was really just about, I just wanted freedom. That's the number one thing I've looked for and wanted my whole life. I just... And my parents were very, you know, my grandmother, my great-grandmother, when she was, you know, like, during, just after the Depression, like, ran away from home at 13 and set off cross-country on trains. I mean, it's something in my family. We're all, like, have this intense wanderlust, and I just couldn't be bound to one place and one life. And your parents were like, what? No. Not really. Yeah. They were like, oh, Rose. <laughs> okay, if that's what you want to do. My dad's nickname for me, which I wasn't, for some reason, allowed to know about until he died. He told my sisters not to tell me. He's a kook. Um, he called me the brave one. That was my nickname. And it, and it was. I was kind of born with, like, a fist up and a sword in the other hand. And, um, and so, you, so you emancipated in Oregon. I was actually in California at that point, legally, because I wanted to have, I like the rights, the laws in California better. And you didn't have to be 16 to be emancipated, like in Oregon. Mm-hmm. So I, I, what I did was I would turn myself in at a police station, and I would tell them I was from X place that I wasn't from, and they would buy me a bus ticket to get me home. And so then I, I crisscrossed the country that way, a lot of the country, by just repeatedly turning myself in at police stations. Then I just, I just had a whole network of ways to get around based on 
crying in a police station saying I was a runaway and wanted to go home. And they didn't call your parents or? No, because I said they moved. I only know the town they live in. Like, they just don't know what to do with you. They want to get rid of you. Oh, wow. That's very, very inventive. You should do a film about your... About There's a lot. That life. So that's, that's really creative. So you would just go right. and tell your story. Or would they give you a story. sandwich? Would they, put, would they put you on a Greyhound yeah. bus with a, with yeah. a sandwich? And a, a sandwich from the vending machine and, uh, and a new life. And how many, so did you say, oh, I want to go to... Boise, I'll go to Boise. Oh, okay, I've been here four days, this sucks. Let's go to Portland. Okay, this sucks. Let's go to, you know, um, Utah. That really sucks. Okay, let's go. So you finally worked your way towards... California. California. And where did you end up there? In, Los Angeles, in actually. There's something about the topography of California in general. You know, because I traveled the coast up and down a bunch on the bus. And... I just fell in love with the rolling hills, the trees, and just um, my favorite place I lived other than that, besides Italy, was Colorado and the mountains, and I've just always had quite a thing for them. And I, I am. Um, where, where did you live in LA when you got mm, there? I rented a room for $300, and I lied uh, somehow. I don't even understand how this happened. I lied to this medical company, this medical PR firm I saw an ad for that they wanted, and like a junior account executive. I don't know <laughs> what the fuck that is. And so I, I invented that I was a graduate of the USC Corporate School of Communications. And, and how did I don't you even come know up, what that how is. Did, how did you come up with that? I don't know, and I don't even think it exists. It just sounded And did, really they didn't good. ask for like proof or anything? No. And, and you were like 15 or I something? I was 14 and a half. And, and what they had a 14 and a half year old talking to Bristol Myers Squibb people on the phone dealing with their breast implant scandal at the time. And how long did this last? That one lasted for about like eight months and then I got fired. But, I, but that was the longest job I ever had before I got fired. Um, every other normal job I ever had, I've gotten fired from quite, and, quite quickly. And you would go to an office? And I would go to this office, which was miserable. And every day they would bring me in and lecture me that I wasn't dressed like appropriately for an office. Because I, I was like, I, I would basically imitate what I thought an office person would wear. So it was just like these kooky outfits that I was coming up with from like Goodwill or, you know. What would you wear? Like, like, like a... I would get a cowl neck, turtleneck, those turtlenecks with the really big 70s funnel necks and cut it and wear it as a mini skirt with black tights, black combat boots, uh, Doc Martens, so they weren't too egregious. And then um, like a men's button down shirt, but it was always like kind of wrinkly. Or, I don't know. I was just, I didn't look like whatever they looked like. I didn't understand. I mean, but I, it was, it was just more amusing. It was just the con, really. Mm-hmm. It was just the con. And were you good at this? I'm just fascinated by how, how you managed to, managed very, to survive for eight good. months. I was very good. I con, I, well, frankly, oftentimes I felt quite smarter than most of the people, the doctors and the people I had And you didn't know to. anything about this world or this business. No, but I'm heavily adaptable. And why, it, it takes about two days to figure it out. It's not that complicated. And why, how, why did you get fired in the end? Because I, because of my dress, cause my, the way I dressed. Um, I dressed, uh, what was the line? You dress like it's casual Friday every day. <laughs> and I said, oh, thank you. I don't yeah. want to work. But it was just enough money to get um, a little car, which you need in L.A., and, um, and then that was that, you know. And then I, I had another adventure for three years, and then I met this great guy, and then I was going to enroll at UCLA, and um, then he died, and then I became famous. But there was a lot of stuff before then. I lived a lot of lives, a lot of chapters way before. So when people are like, is Hollywood the weirdest thing that's happened to you? I'm like, mm, not by a long shot. No, I mean, probably... It's the longest thing that's happened to me. Yeah. But not necessarily the weirdest. It's sometimes the most asinine thing that's happened to me. And it's weird when you come from, like, my parents are very, very, very smart people. And, like, hyper-educated and 
very eccentric, flamboyant, fabulous, hard, difficult, indult, self-indulgent people, but that they always spoke the truth. So that's one yeah. problem I had in Los Angeles. I really did think people were telling me the truth because mm -hmm. I didn't understand why. I, it just didn't even occur to me that somebody would lie. Yeah. Like, yeah. I just didn't understand why. I still don't quite understand why. Like, what's the gain? What's, yeah. what's the upside of this? Like, and, and they why? were children of God, right? Your yes. Do you, do you feel... It's funny because I have other friends I'm close to, you know, that I'm close to who grew up in cults, basically. Yeah. Um, how, do you, how do you feel about that? Are you annoyed with them, or do you feel that was just part of the time? Or? Well, it certainly was part of the time. It's very, very difficult to look at it from you know, now. You know, my father's coming f out of... He got dishonorably discharged from going to Vietnam because he acted so crazy. I mean, and he must have acted really crazy because he really did not want to go. Um, and it's funny because I work a lot with veterans and things like that, so I have like this deeply patriotic streak. My father was patriotic about America, but very anti-authority and his father was you know navy and and like we dinner at like you know 1900 hours or, or like that kind of thing and and you know you have to think these people really did in their naivete in a very different time think they were changing the world which is you know for us now at this stage looking back like well good luck with that but it was i mean the idea is quite beautiful in practice absolutely not and um like anything with it was kind of like growing up in the Medici court. Hmm. Intrigue, overthrows, like people would dis... It was very, very... Um, There's a lot of... It was like political intrigue, basically. I grew up in a very uh, stressed... There was no safety. That, that's, that's the... The safety has been something that's I get. lacking in my life. Like, that, that's yeah, never happened. That, that, uh, and it, there has been no safe place to land. Yes. Hollywood wasn't that place either. No, no, for sure. Hollywood was not that place. No, for sure. No, it's interesting. I, when I was um, uh, at college, I, I was in England, I uh, was a, I wanted to be a writer when I left college. I, I, or at the most, I thought maybe I would write films. I, I hadn't got my mind around actually directing for many years. But I was going to be, and then I met the children of God at a, um, I think, Waterloo Station or Paddington Station, wherever I was I getting the train back father. to college, because they would do these recruiting things. I know. And I was a very sort of cynical young woman, really, and 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 suspicious of all this of all this stuff. So, but I was very fascinated by them. And at one point, when I left college for the first year, I thought I was going to write a book about cult. I was very fascinated by Children of God. Yeah, my, and am asking? What year do you think that was? Oh, this was like 75, 76, 75. I mean, that's seriously could have actually been my parents because my parents were in, in, in England. Oh, well, see, maybe, maybe, and, um, maybe it was your dad I talked to. My dad was to. restoring Lady Jane Grey's castle. Like, just how they get it now. Well, maybe I talked to him at, at Paddington Station. How odd. And, um, and the, you know, they were very, you know, friendly and nice, but it was like... There's a thing. There's a thing. There's, There's a, a thing. thing. There's a thing. And, and, um, and then I actually um, got very interested in Unification Church, which was very big here when I moved to New York after college. And I actually went... And, through their uh, three-day training program so that I could sort of undercover so I could write about it. But then I was just got, it got too much for me. And I, uh, I, I, then I, then I discovered, I discovered punk rock and abandoned like, oh, my, fuck that. No. Fuck that. I abandoned my, my book on cults, but it was a very interesting 
I'm writing the origin experience. story of what I grew up in. I think that's a really. I, I think I think it hasn't been really. No, it hasn't. Nobody's about done enough. it. Yeah. No, no, and nobody's really quite done it right because it's from an outsider perspective of somebody studying it. So it's empiric evidence. It's very different mm. if you grew up in it. My father ran the Italian chapter. Yeah. My first and earliest memory is being three years old and having somebody, which they would do every night, and it, I was just so bored of it. Every night they would come and sit on the end of the bed and say, "Have you let God into your heart today?" And I would say, "No." <laughs> And as I reasoned to myself, it wasn't that I didn't believe in God. I didn't believe in their God. And if I did say I believed in God, then they would, they would mistakenly think and that I was in line with what they were doing, and that was not okay. I think when I was four, I lit a wall of Bibles on fire. I was, like, very anti... I was like, this is a load of horse shit, basically, from a very early age, and I was always in trouble. I lit a, I lit a barn on fire. Like, I would just light everything on fire. That's a good thing. I think that's a good quality survivor. I think so. A cult. Because light um, on fire. I think I think it helps to be, you know, anti authority because in the end I've been they're very they're very authoritarian. They're very authoritarian and they're it's a patriarchal system that benefits the man, I mean, in, in so many different ways, you know. And and I feel so bad for my mother who was an eighteen year old girl taken into another country and, you know, her mom died when she was pregnant with me like a year later and now she's in a fucking cult. Like how the hell do you get out of that? I mean, it's it's Really, and then you know, my father was allowed to have more than one wife, and you know, it's very patriarchal. So, so who does this benefit the man? But that's one of the reasons Dawn was so. I've always been quite fascinated by women in that age group. She would have been a little younger than Dawn, but had the same kind of drilled into that it's about being pleasant, polite, and all things, so you can ultimately. Yes, yeah. so you're going, you're going to be easy mother, going. I, I like that. Easy, Look, I'm, a, I'm easy going. You yeah, know, that's that, a real interview. That's a Tab Hunter really gave that interview. And oh, I've often wondered like how much damage that little interview did. You yes, never know who reads from, these things. From closeted gay man. From a yeah. closeted gay man. I mean, that was yeah. the whole thing. And the other man she mentions in the movie is Rock Hudson. Like, oh, yeah. The movie. So that was very pointed and on purpose. But it, it's and just the ideas of what we casually, what men do to girls, what women do to girls, and then we set them out there in the world. It's absolutely no protection. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I think that was that was more like my mother set out in the world's no protection because she was meant to be pleasant in all things. The next thing she knows, she's being pleasant in a cult because all of a sudden the sexual revolution happened. You're not cool unless you're with all like you're hanging with the guys. And meanwhile, earlier you've been programmed to be pleasing. No, I found that I think that part of the um, the anger that I think punk uh, tapped in for me and 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 the the uh, which I did feel very much was a reaction, even though it was had a lot in common in a way with hippies, but it was very also a very intense reaction against it, was this sort of exploitation that had happened. And I loved, in a way, that punk was kind of, in a way it was, early punk was kind of asexual. Do you know it, what I mean? was. It, it was. It was androgyne, I mean, very The much girls so. were very androgyne, you know, Tina Weymouth and Patti Smith, they were very androgyne, and that was also true of the early, um, uh, you know, the English polystyrene and all those people. Um, because the, the 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 pressure the good to, to be the good hippie girl because I was kind of because what's the in, fucking in, difference in the, between being the good girl in L.A. like the girl yeah. with the long hair that twirls on the ends with the, yes. like this with the big eyes and yeah. you're so intelligent you're so this you're so that it's all a mirror to some dipshit who doesn't deserve it frankly. yes and it, and it was also the idea of, of what what is the great hippie chick she's you know, she's someone who doesn't cause problems. Mm -hmm. You know, she's cool with everything, and she so, will but that have, really sex is every, have sex with everyone. You right, know. that's Dawn, hmm. but those they were. They were raised in that kind of, usually in that environment, maybe not as upper class or something like that, yeah. but to societally, the messages they got. Yeah. And certainly, but then all of a sudden, this revolution, quote-unquote, happens, but it's still completely benefiting the men. 
Yes. Yeah. And all the 60s cults, I've heard, I think oh, every completely. single one, it was run by some middle-aged guy, basically. Oh, this is like a middle-aged Jewish man. Yeah. I, well, I think they all were. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> yeah, pretty much. It's not funny. Yeah. Well, maybe not Manson wasn't Jewish, but you know, but they were all yeah. Basically, it was Benefit. this one it's guy. It's all benefiting them. All for his benefit. All for his benefit. All for his sexual gratification and his like perverse gratification and and control issues and and it's very very strange. We escaped, you know. We escaped. I ran through a cornfield one night. With, with the whole family? No, my dad left my mother in it. Um, and and I escaped with my father and some of my bro- and my brothers and sisters. And his other wife, and um, this dude chasing after us with a hammer. Wow. Yeah, it was very filmic. I remember thinking. In Oregon or in Italy? No, it was in Italy. In Italy, wow. Through a cornfield, thunder and lightning, like the corn stalks whipping my face. Like, yeah, there's well, a lot. Wow, that's a. There's a lot of memories. That's I've, a good scene. I filmed everything in my head. Yes, yes. At a very early age, I filmed everything. Yeah. I was always outside of my body, like, just, but that's usually the safe refuge, isn't it? You float up above. Yeah. When you have trauma, you just you're above and you watch. But that serves you well for directing. I always feel like the uh, the uh, if you're going into film, you're going to direct. You should ha- try and have a difficult childhood, because it it really does prepare you. Um, it's just so banal. Otherwise, I think in some ways, like what they draw upon is like seriously, that's your problem. That's yeah. what you're gonna do. But I find also it's like, well, really, what can you do to me that didn't already it was, didn't already happen? Or you there's know. a couple things that I I'd managed to protect myself from happening, and then later happened in Hollywood, and I was like, really? Seriously? Well, I think also if you're a performer, it's much much harder. Much harder. Yeah, because I think if you're a director, you know that you you may have to go through certain you know humil you know humiliation or rejection, but you're not going through the kind of Oh. Behavior that a performer, an actress. No, will. there and there, there's you know there's. I said this recently, but I was talking to this woman, and she's like, "Oh, I'm the head of human resources for Stars," and I was like, "Whoa, what's that like? What's that like to have a human resources department mm-hmm. where you can actually like say something?" Or, you know, again, it's not easy to do that, I'm sure, but there is no such thing. It, it is a cloak of silence. There is a veil, and behind that veil, a lot of nefarious and bad things are done. Yes, and do you think there's to a any? Lot of girls. Any movement towards stopping that? I am. Mm. I saw your um, thing about the audition. Oh, that was just so stupid. Yeah. That but, was funny that but, people freaked out about it, yeah. or like, because I was like... Well, so, I mean, actually, I was like, really? This happens all the time? Yeah, exactly. I was like, oh, this is, is what you're upset about? Why is everybody surprised? I this, just thought it was more like, like stupid and amusing. Yeah, it's amusing. It's like It was it's like, like a bon mot, if you will. It was just like a funny like. Yeah, thing. because... Um, but, then, but then it turned into this whole thing, and then I actually did think deeper about it, and you're like, they're, like, they're right, actually. They're, even though this is not... An, this is like a baby iota of what the crap that I've dealt with. Like, this is nothing. Like, you think that's something. That's just a Tuesday at 11 a.m., like you have no idea. Dark stuff that's living, risen to the level of criminality, for sure. And I've never had any protection there, none. Yes, and you didn't get protection from your representatives? Oh, God, no. Yeah, that's I think, is very sad. God, not, never. No, no, never, in fact, had a lot of... M- most of the really bad things that happened to me there were because they orchestrated it. You know, and some people, like, get... Some people are treated, some actors are treated with kid gloves and are protected, or actresses. Um, not me. I don't know what it was. I think it's interesting because looking into um, old Hollywood, like Catherine Hepburn, I think never had to deal with any of this. But I think there's there's cl- there's class elements to this. It's, if you're if you if you're connected, correct. I had no connections. I had no protection. I came out of nowhere, mm-hmm. and I did it backwards. You know, within 
a year I was famous and within a year I was on the cover of Interview Magazine and then within two, year, two years I was like, how do you get out of this? Yeah. How do you stop this? How do you become unfamous? So I spent the last seven years really dismantling a lot of that. It was funny, when I was um, a young, uh, when I was young in New York and writing about punk, which, which I did for free because then I had all these jobs, one of the jobs I had was um, being a researcher. It was a great job in a way, researcher for um, uh, a movie that was being done. I had a friend who connected me with... Um, was Columbia Pictures, I'm not sure, I can't remember which one. And um, uh, I had to go and have a meeting as this young researcher with this uh, the big executive. And uh, then we w went to, it was a, went to Juilliard's to, to go and, you know, I only had this one meeting, had to sort of interview me. And while I was staying in this office, he like, came up behind me and like said, I'm gonna like crack your back or something. It was like, like doing this weird thing to me. And then, and then we were in his limousine and like his hand was like all going <laughs> up my leg. And I'm like plastering myself. You're against, like literally on the side of the I wall. I was literally basically. on the side yeah. of the thing. Like, okay. And I, and I, I, you know, rang my friend who set this up and said, let this happen. He said, oh, you know, don't just turn your, just don't turn your back you know, on him. They're like, give me a heads up, jerk. Yeah. And so, uh, and I remember thinking at the time, well, I, I can, you know, this is just a research job. I can, I can walk out anytime. It doesn't matter. I couldn't. I was under contract. No. And it's like, I, I can walk out anytime. It doesn't matter. What would it be like, I thought, if I was a young actress? You're screwed. You're screwed. I was really, what, you know, I was sort of so stunned. Because here I was, somebody who was, you know, recommended by a friend, by the, you know, the screenwriter friend. And it's like, and then, and they did behave like that to me, who came in as this person who was doing academic research, basically. That's, yeah, imagine what it is imagine. when they don't respect you in any way. Imagine if, and, and, and if you actually need the job, you know, need them. It was horrifying, isn't it? It is horrifying. It's a very dark place. It hasn't changed. That hasn't changed. About three years ago, I was, I came back to LA and I was like, oh, maybe I'll act again. I need to get, it. maybe I'll get an agent, manager. I don't know. So I meet with this guy, and at the end of the meeting, after he's done showing me pictures of his baby, and this ugly little short man, of course, mm -hmm. uh, stuck his tongue down my throat. Ooh. And yeah. I was like, still? This crap is still. Still? What? Still? Still? That's incredible. Still, and and then I saw him when I did eventually go with another agency, and he then got employed there, and of course looked at me like and shook his head and like turned away, like as if I was the dirty one. I was like, "You son of a bitch, you son of a bitch," and that's called a Wednesday. Yeah, yeah. It's gross. Yeah. And you know the thing is, for me, it's like I didn't join the mafia when I joined your ranks. I did not take a vow of silence. And it was really, really particularly strange for me because it was very hard to square in my mind because I didn't go there with that hole in my chest that was only going to be filled by fame. Right. I didn't go there with this thing. I did it because I needed to earn a living, and my number one fear in life was being homeless again. Right, right, right. And being hungry. Well, I hope the TV show will have took care of that. I, I use a lot of it to take care of my father's health care. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, I mean, they're, they're, you know... I think if you if you can look at it that way and there's know, a lot of ways to look at it. It just know. was it's just a fight, you know. It's a fight, and and some of the most egregious things done to me were setups by women, and, and completely. Why do you think that was? I, I, I jealousy, um, trade, stock, just trade, trading favors, trying to get like maybe their male client a job off my back. I don't really know. And these were people that took copious amounts of money from me. And so you feel like 
were they worse? Do you think, or 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 you feel more ways, because I think the eight or no, 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 no. What they did was criminal. Uh, worse, yes. Worse in a way because, and I, and I was talking to some male, a guy the other day, and he was saying a really nice guy, and he was saying like, you know, he didn't understand why sometimes, not all the time, but he would hire women. He's like, I hire women because I like the way they think and and uh, I like them for who they are. And then sometimes they work their way up in the ranks and and it's also a very traditional thing in Hollywood to, you know, well, can't beat him, join him, like kind of thing. And I'm gonna out boys club this boy and I'm gonna show how good I am in that way. But that's not the way to be good. Yeah. That's just the way to be an average asshole. Yeah. And a mercenary person who's out for your own, you know, buck. And they don't... I mean, the amount of stupid things I've had said to me, the amount of times I've been touched inappropriately, and I'm, I'm just talking it worldwide. I'm not even discussing. Like, once you then become well-known, you're, you're literally an object to be discussed by... I was at Home Depot three weeks ago, and this guy walks by, and he's like, you're much fatter in real life. And I'm like, how thin am I supposed to be? And thank you for discussing my body. Like, it's a coffee table. How... That's just, again, a Thursday. Yeah, yeah. So, so I really don't take it anymore. I don't take it. I, don't, I no longer am willing to vacate the premises of my body and my mind to make others feel like they have an easier time of it. If I need to push back, I'll push back. Basically, I feel like I just kind of want to do a chiropractic adjustment on the mind. And you can do those quite quickly, you know? You can do it quickly. A lot of times people don't have really evil intent Hmm. They're just so used to the status quo and how it's done. So I, when I meet those people that don't have evil intent, I can I, I, I kind of like reprogram them really quickly. Call them on it. Not just call them on it. Like show them like an example, what it is, how it feels, this and that. And they're like, oh. And then they change hopefully for the next person. You know, my, my main goal is really just to give somebody like shine a light so the person in the dark behind me can see it. Because I had no light. Yeah. Other than my own. And I had to fight for that. I think that's... Uh, yeah. Yeah. Like, that's... That's that, really. Great. Really? That was really fun. That was really fun. This is Nick Dawson from TalkHouse Film, and you've been listening to Mary Harron and Rose McGowan on the TalkHouse Film Podcast. The episode was engineered by David Gorin and edited by Elia Einhorn. For more filmmakers talking film and TV, visit thetalkhouse.com slash film. Subscribe to TalkHouse Film and TalkHouse Music Podcasts on iTunes, where you can find all our previous episodes. And while you're there, please rate and review if you can. I always notice on podcasts they start rolling before they tell Yes, yes, go. that's yes, and, and then you I'll, say... Seven minutes later, are you, are you taping me? Yes, there'd be crazy, crazy things are being said.